thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, and Indie Visible Magazine for having me. Oh, of course, thank you. Really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, first things first. Obviously, um, I watched the film of um, the summer with Miss Von Mausch. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Von Mausch. Very good. Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you. I was a bit unsure because of my northern accent <laughs> might be coming through there slightly. So. I love your accent, by the way. Oh, thank you. I really like yours too. Is it American? Yeah. yeah, it's America. Whereabouts yeah. from America is it? New York. New York. From, oh, okay. Yeah. Nice place well, to live. And if I really want to get into New York, I, I'm from Long Island. I grew up on Long Island. Oh, okay. So we have our own dialect here. Yeah. So, for example, it's Long Island. Oh, okay. We really emphasize the G um, here on Long Island, but I, I, I got, I try to. Over the years, my accent has dissipated. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. what mine sounds like. People say I sound like I'm from Yorkshire, but I'm not. I'm just from Preston. So, nothing too fancy. Yeah. It's <laughs> <But, laughs> like, fancy to me. Oh, no, it's, it's really not. <laughs> People call it depressing, <laughs> as in, like, depressing. Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like just a common thing people will say around here. But, <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's just one of those things. But um, getting slightly off topic there, sorry. <laughs> With the film, um, mm-hmm. what was your, like, inspiration? Like, when you watch it, what do you get from the film? Well, I get, I mean, I read the script when David, David wrote the screenplay and um, directed it. And when I read the script, I just thought it was really super poignant um, because it's really this father who's... Um, just not available to his daughter while she's visiting him, uh, you know, ends up befriending this neighbor uh, who's very generous, uh, yeah, obviously, and, uh, you know, giving her gifts, and there's this kind of nice, lovely exchange that they have, and then they venture outside, so she actually gets out of the apartment, and I, the fact that, like, the dad at the end says, um, you know, she's looking sad, and he thinks it's because they're no longer going to have their time together, time, but really she's feeling sad because she's missing, saying goodbye to Mrs. Von Mosh and, you know, what transpired with her, with, you know, her ending up being escorted by these mental health facility, uh, facility workers uh, due to that incident that the father reported. Um, I just thought it was super poignant. I was just like, oh, that's just so sad. Um, but uh, that's what really attracted me to the script was... Um, the emotional piece of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I really liked it. I noticed there was quite a few um, subliminal messages. I don't know if that's just me looking too far into it, but um, I noticed the colour orange tends to pop up, like with the nail varnish and with the clothing choices. And just in the background, I kept seeing a bit of orange just creeping up. So um, I looked up, like, what does orange symbolise? And it means uh, joy confidence and enthusiasm and I felt that those were three traits that um Miss Von Mausch had so I don't know if that was like a deliberate choice or that was just accidental (laughs) but either way it worked I wish I could tell I don't know this um how I don't I don't remember how that the nail polish choice um 
happened. I mean, it could be that the the woman, the, the girl who played Summer, might have that might have been a nail polish that she just had on hand that she personally was using. <laughs> but I think it's super cool what you just told me about how what orange symbolizes because I think that. It, it, in retro, it, it makes sense to pick that color. Yeah, yeah, it seems like For a very fitting color. Yeah, definitely, it's like a fitting color for the piece, and and obviously, totally. yeah, the character as well. So, um, obviously, uh-huh. She's just very colorful. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. is a very colorful character. Is there anyone in your yeah. life who um she reminds you of? Do you have your own personal Miss Von Mausch neighbor in your life, or are you her yourself? <laughs> I'm trying to think of I. I mean, if anything, she kind of reminds me of my grand, my grandmother who's now deceased. But she was extremely just colorful in terms of she loved jewelry, so she was always like oh. giving me her jewelry and stuff like that. Um, but she also had you know these kind of crazy stories that she would share um, just about her own growing up and stuff like that. The kind of stories that, I mean, not, not as crazy as Mrs. Mamash is about, you know, but but still had that kind of um, colorful personality, if you will. Yeah. Same, same type of personality. But um, no, I never had a neighbor who uh, was similar to that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really nice that, obviously, because it is almost like a grandma relationship that you see in the film. And um, I guess, obviously, she has that sort of lack of role model. And so when you watch it, she starts to almost become like a mini version of her with the sunglasses. And it's on the poster, I noticed, and I just loved it because I I saw the two of them and I was like, they look like a really fun pair to be around. So Uh, Yeah, they're both like wearing a fur coat when they go outside. Sunglasses. I loved it. Yeah, it reminded me of me and my friends because we're a bit like that. We get the sunglasses on and then... Rain or shine, parting it up, so. Yeah, it was this, yeah, somewhat, uh, this other uh, film critic mentioned it had this kind of Ferris, uh, Ferris Bueller vibe to oh, Yeah, yeah, I sort of see that. I don't understand that now, like when you're describing, like at first I was like, I don't really get that, but, <laughs> but then talking to you even, I'm like, oh yeah, it totally does, because they're having so much fun, there's so much joy in the rain, just being outdoors, you know, and they're getting dressed up for this, you know, just to go get a pretzel you know, yeah, yeah. and walk down the street, <laughs> but it's really cool. Yeah, I love that because when they were getting dressed up, I thought they were going to an event or something like that, but like you said, they were just going out, just just for a little trip out around the town, so I thought, well, why not? So it seemed like they had a lot of fun, and I'm guessing, like, obviously filming yeah. that, how much, like, behind the scenes were you involved in? I was... I mean, I really, I mean, I had a lot of help. And my point, I mean, so many people are instrumental to making this short film come to fruition. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't exist without them, hands down. Um, So I can list off all the people who helped, which I'm happy to do. Uh, But you asked me, uh, asked me what my role was. I mean, essentially, um, I sourced all the people who did end up helping bring this short film to life. Um, but I also coordinated the whole thing. So, um, you know, letting letting people know when to show up to uh, set, uh, figuring out catering, like everyone had to get fed. Um, because I was working, um, the woman who played 
uh, Mrs. Mama, she's actually a SAG actress. So there's when you work with SAG actresses, there's regulations in terms of when they need breaks, when they have to get fed and stuff like that. So I was overseeing all that as well. Um, if, any, if there were any problems on set, which there were, because there are always problems, um, I was the go-to person. We have a problem. Fix it. <laughs> like, oh. It was like that. So, I mean, there was this, I remember this one problem where uh, we had, hi- I guess we were supposed to have somebody come, we had two people, one of whom was going to be, this one guy was going to drive uh, in uh, one of the actors, uh, no, equipment rather, the equipment, and he volunteered to also serve as one of the non-speaking roles, the facility worker, and he never showed up. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we didn't, not only did we not have the uh, some of the equipment that he was supposed to drive in, like we had, we, we didn't have this facility work. We had to like scramble to fig- to find another car to pick up the equipment, and then also find a substitute person to play that the facility worker and i was tasked with that kind of a job which was it was stressful and hairy but we got it done yeah i can imagine like because when you think of producer I, like i didn't know until obviously i was doing my research yeah. on you and then finding out what a producer actually does because i'm very new to all this interviewing work um so oh, i just oh, doing cool. me research doing job. i didn't thank you <laughs> i'm trying um but yeah i didn't actually realize like how much a producer actually does and like you said there's like multiple roles that you're taking on and i'm guessing uh-huh. it's like a lot of pressure like did you realize how much pressure it would be getting into it and do you enjoy it like do you enjoy having yeah. that fast-paced environment to work in yeah i mean i didn't know so I started producing short, I had produced a few short films prior to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the short films I produced prior to this one was had a big, much bigger budget than this one. So you would think there would be fewer problems when you have more money, but that actually is not the case. <laughs> so like the other short film that I produced, for example, we weren't anticipating it raining most of the whole shoot. So, and we had a lot of exterior shots, and we also had plans to do our catering outdoors. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, and we didn't have, you know, a lot of film sets, they, when they um, provide food for the, for the crew and the cast, they will do it outdoors, but they'll have enough money to be able to have an overhang, and so if it's raining, you can go underneath and the food's all dry, and we didn't, uh, we couldn't afford the overhang, for example, so we were just going to be outdoors in the open, and if it rained, all the water would just come on our food, which is basically what would, if we did not troubleshoot and have a plan B, which ended up being we're all going to a restaurant and eating in a restaurant instead of, you know, whatever, then actually two of the actors were uh, sag. They ended up going to eat at a diner, and we all waited until the rain stopped, and then we were able to eat. Like, oh. Yeah, that's, I think that's how that happened. But it was just kind of a crazy shoot, because we had to go out and buy an umbrella for the actors. We didn't have, like, yeah, it was just like things like that just kind of came up, and we're like, okay, more money. And, and again, like, this money goes this really quick. Like, once you see all these different... Like you were, I wasn't anticipating having to pay for the diner, dinner, stuff like that. It was just like, oh, okay, we're spending a little more money where I thought we weren't going to have to. So you just kind of have to maneuver. But in terms of, I mean, I like, I like working in collaboration with people and community. And I love being on film sets because you really do get that. 
and you feel like you're doing something meaningful, which is hopefully you're telling a story that's going to resonate with people emotionally. Yeah, so, it definitely does. Yeah. I feel like there's something in that for everybody of some sort. So I think it's very, um, I'd say it, it's got a broad sense of who it's targeted to, because obviously, I guess if you've got a really nice relationship with, say, a grandma, like you said, then obviously you'll resonate in that way. And then also, if you have uh, a disconnect to your family members, you might also resonate in that way, because the, um, obviously the main character is in a situation with divorced parents and she has a disconnect from her dad because there's no real bond or communication there and then as for the mum we never see the mum we don't meet the mum we're only told bits and pieces about her so I do think it's one of those things that you can sit down and however you relate to it there is somehow a relationship within it if that makes sense very worthy but yeah I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that the reason why I released, so the short film was actually shot a while ago, um, and it did go and play a few film festivals, not the big tiered ones, not like Sundance or Berlin or anything like that, but um, I sat on the film for 10 years, not knowing how I wanted to release it. I was like, okay, when do I want to release it and to the world, and then... Um, and there's also time, like times where I have time to actually put energy into, because I made this short film, I certainly don't, I, I would love for people to see it, and that requires also spending time, um, you know, trying to uh, meet people like yourself to say, hey, let's chat about my movie kind of thing. So um, I didn't have the time before, but then with the COVID uh, and being forced to stay home, um, I suddenly had some time back, and also I thought, wow, we're all stuck indoors, and this is about these two women stuck indoors. Mm. So I thought, this timing-wise, this might, this is it. Like, I should just release it now. The perfect timing. Yeah, because, like, a lot of people are socially isolated right now, and, you know, I think loneliness is a huge mental health issue. And... Um, I think that people can relate to this story because you're seeing these two people, different generations, you know, lonely for different reasons. And they come together and feel less lonely because they, they forge this friendship. And I just thought this is going to, this is really going to resonate right now, especially. Yeah, like you said, it does seem the perfect time to obviously release it with what's going on in the world. A lot of people do feel isolated and lonely. And that's also a recurring theme throughout the film. So it just mm-hmm. seemed very fitting. It's almost like it was meant to be. But exactly, I was meant to release it right now. Yeah, yeah. and I've been thankful for the response. You know, um, I definitely I'm new to um, trying to get people interested in watching it or review it or whatever. But I've been pleasantly surprised that people are are saying, "Hey, come on my podcast," or "I'll interview you," or "Here's a re- you know, we'll review your film and stuff like that." So, and the reviews have been really cool. Like, I loved your, I loved um, George's review. That was awesome. Oh, I'm glad yeah. you liked it. I'm sure he'll like that as yeah. well. He gets a little shout out on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, George White. <laughs> yeah, it was, and so yeah. It's it's been nice, and I've been enjoying um, meeting people like yourself. Oh, it's thank just... you. It's great to meet you too. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. I like your rainbow. Um, oh, this. Background, yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's a little flag. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a pride flag. flag. 
Because why not? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Currently, we're all trapped indoors. Cool. So I thought, well, I'll decorate my inside. I feel like that's house. the kind of thing that some of Mrs. Mamash would have in her background. Oh, do you think? Yeah. yeah. I think, like... I think that, like, she would... I think mm-hmm. she would adapt. Well, I don't know how she would adapt to the current times, but I would be very interested to see her on a like a Zoom call or something. I think it'd be very right. interesting. I feel like she'd be one of those people that's always moving about, you know, always doing something on the side. So, totally. how do you like yeah. feel the characters would cope with lockdown? Obviously, there is that sense of isolation already embedded within the story, but how do you think they would deal with the COVID situation? Oh my gosh, that would be hard because I don't know if they would have been able to go out and take that, and especially depending on, I guess, I mean, they would be wearing masks, they wouldn't necessarily be wearing sunglasses, right? Um, <laughs> and I don't know if they would be eating a pretzel together like they did so close together. They might be really far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wouldn't necessarily have all those interactions, like the sharing of, you know, the the jewelry or the um, the nail polish. They, I think it would, yeah, it might even be a conversation through like a door or a wall or something like that instead, which is actually kind of funny I mentioned that because that was the genesis of the original script there was a, so the script actually wasn't so the script started with a friend of mine who who was a just likes to write and he had passed along an eight-page script about a little girl who's stuck indoors um her mom has left her alone um and about this older woman uh a no age um on the older woman who's in her apartment adjacent that were next door to the uh, little girl's apartment and she gets her hands crazy glued to a wall and the script was called crazy glue it's about how they kind of talk to each other through the wall and forge this friendship through the wall and so i it's funny because i think that would work in pandemic times right to tell that story kind of sort of thing the wall would obviously have to be very um not thick it'd be very thin wall um but anyway that's that, that was how i passed it to david i said would you want to direct this script? I met David, who made a feature film, if you haven't seen it, it's called Cook County. It's a wonderful debut feature film. And it premiered, uh, East Coast premiere was at a festival that doesn't exist anymore called Chen Art Film Festival in Manhattan, where I was working. And I fell in love with his first film. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to work with you. And so here's a script. Would you want to direct it? And he, looked, he read it and he said, would you mind if I rewrite it? And I said, and I had to ask my friend, which is so awkward. I said yeah. to my friend, do you mind if, you know, I was like, can you rewrite this? okay if this guy rewrites your scripts. And my friend, thankfully, you know, he was very um, humble and, and okay with it. He was just kind of like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, let him do what he wants with it. And um, David, not only, like, literally, we wrote the whole thing and made it his own, his own, um, changed character names changed the plot changed the you know even the backgrounds of these kids uh the girl was older in this version um so it didn't even resemble the uh, initial script david came in with a 20 page script just to give you and this and it started with an eight page script Mm. so just to give you a sense of just how different these scripts were um but yeah the the original script would have actually probably um, been more, co- uh, I guess, you would have felt like it was, it would have worked in a COVID world a little bit more. Mm. Um, obviously, 
David's uh, name's popped up quite a bit. He does play the dad, doesn't he, I believe? Yeah, I thought so. His acting debut. He never, I don't think he ever acted before. Um, He decided, I mean, part of the reason why I think he decided to play that role was because of how, once we decided on our days of shooting, which were basically 2.5 days, um, on a budget of less than $3,000, which is kind of crazy, he was like, we don't have time to do a, we don't even have money to do a proper casting session, like call. We can't hire, we didn't have money to hire a casting uh, director. So it was just kind of like, all right, I'll just do it. I'll play the role. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, I, was, I, I was like, all right. I, I wasn't, he's the director. So if he thinks he could do it, all right, no problem. So that's a week. That's how that happened. I mean, he did and a great job. Found- he did a great job in the scenes he was in. Oh, I know so, that you. Yeah. I know that you said that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and my the little girl was my is my cousin. Oh, okay. Um, she's not so little anymore. She's an adult now. Um, and the woman who played uh, Mrs. Mamash, she was referred to us by a friend of David's. So we actually didn't do like you, you know when you think of movies and how you cast and stuff like that. A lot of time you 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 have auditions and you have people read sides and you audition a lot of people. It wasn't like that. This was like really quick in terms of putting this whole thing together. Yeah. In my head, cause I was obviously going to ask you about the casting process and obviously how involved you were in terms of casting uh-huh. people, but it, it just seems so crazy because obviously you do imagine like an audition and then multiple people come along and that sort of thing. And yeah. you do like screen reads. So it's kind of nice that, it was almost just people who you found naturally rather than in this forced environment. So, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, it, yeah, I think, I do think that a lot of indie, indie films, especially films that don't have a big budget, mm-hmm. end up, um, you know, working with, I mean, they do kind of go with this kind of style of let's see what we can do, what we can put together kind of thing. Um Versus, like, making this elaborate audition process. Um, there's a director, writer-director, I don't know if you've heard, he's American, his name is Joe Swanberg. And he, he's, a, he's one of the, he, he used to make these movies that were, weren't necessarily scripted, so he would kind of come up with the plot on, and with the, with the actors whom he hired. But all these actors were not, through the, I, they weren't really audition process type actors. I don't think they were just like my sound guy. I'm gonna make him an actor, or um, my friend's friends. She, she's she'll be great, and that was Greta Gerwig kind of thing. I don't think that you know my friend's friend's girlfriend or something like that. Like you put her in there, and now look at her. So you know, it's just when you start out like that, I guess you just kind of work with what you got, and yeah. But I thought that they worked out really well. I was really happy with the results. Oh, definitely, um, and I, yeah. The casting, yeah, I felt like yeah. everyone was very well casted. So to me, that just sounds crazy that they weren't, they didn't yeah. have to go for a process or anything like that. Like these were people who just happened to know the right people, essentially, or be related to the right people. Yeah. I mean, Mrs. Von Mosh was definitely the most trained actor in terms of, I mean, she, she was, you know, she, she was on Law and Order episodes, a few of them before mm. um, working with us. Um, and she also was a director in her own right, so she definitely had a lot more credentials than the rest of us, whereas my cousin had just been acting in her, like, school plays and stuff like that, so that was her kind of experience, 
and I have no idea what David, if David had any happy experience whatsoever. I have no idea. Oh, well, I feel like it all worked. It all came together really nicely. So, um, yeah, I guess my final question to ask you is obviously because as a producer, um, how did you get into producing? Well, it started, I guess, when um, I graduated from college. Um, I was working at a film studio here in New, in New York City. That was my first job in the industry. I was a receptionist at what was called USA Films, which is now Focus Features. And... Uh, I remember a lot of interacting with a lot of high profile people in that position. And I remember one person in particular, I don't know if I should say her name. Oh. Uh, she said, to, she asked me, her name is Alicia Silverstone. And she said to me, uh, what do you want to do? Uh, and I just said, um, and I was still trying to figure out what I, I knew. I didn't want to be a receptionist. I knew that that wasn't like the long term goal. Um, and I think I might have said like screenwriter. Um, I like to, cause I really want to tell stories. I love storytelling and, uh, and, and the, that didn't really s- stick as much. I mean, it took a while for me to write my first screenplay. Um, but, and shortly after I left that job, like my, I had a friend who was getting her MFA at the school of visual arts and she had, uh, her thesis was going to be a short film. And um, I was looking for my next steps uh, in my career, and she just turned to me and said, hey, if you want to produce my thesis film, you can produce it. And I had no business producing her thesis film because I kind of never produced in my life. And I, and I really didn't know what that entailed exactly, but I, I had a little bit of an idea. So that was my first kind of producing gig but I got hooked I was like I like doing this 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 is fun and I want to continue and so I started kind of creating opportunities for me to get more experience just kept on trying to produce like just produce short films because I certainly couldn't afford a feature film or raise money for a feature um and uh a friend of mine he uh his he's a writer and his feature film uh, Burning Annie, which I'm a, actually an executive producer on, and it's a whole other story. Um, but uh, he uh, had written a short film called Yin Yang, and he showed me the script, which I liked a lot. And I just and he said, "Do you want to produce it?" And I said, "Well, I think um, it was had a lot of locations, oh, just a lot." And I just thought, "I cannot pay for this on my own." So at the time, I had a day job, and I said, "If you want to." bring help me bring someone else on to help me produce this and yeah so we he brought on his then girlfriend who had never produced in her life but she was amazing she was a great producer and the two of us we uh you know found some money to basically for including my own to produce this short film which i have not yet released but i will i'm timing i'm waiting to yeah it's old it's really an old film um but uh yeah so after doing that short film, I was just like, I want to keep on doing this. So I just kept on making these little short films, some of which have never played film festivals or anything like that. Um, but I just really enjoyed the process, and I noticed I was getting better and better at it as I kept on producing. And, you know, I, I think I got to a point, I got hired. This was really cool. My last, I guess my last short that I produced, I was hired to do that, which was really kind of, oh, cool. Someone's actually saying that you are going to get paid to do this kind of thing, which is in the beginning, you're not getting paid, you're spending your own money, basically. <laughs> and then, um, after that, I was like, I kind of want to do a feature. And that 
brought me back to the whole idea of screenwriting. And I was like, I'm going to write a screenplay and see if I can write something where I can produce it. The problem was, is that it's written. And then when I went to a line producer, which my, I I wrote the screenplay with uh, with my husband and a couple of our friends. And when I went to a line producer to hire him to come up with a budget, it was well over what we imagined. They were like, oh, we cannot produce this film. We need real money because it's over a million dollar budget. (laughs) And I, and that's kind of where it's still, it's still, I'm still looking for funders. I'm still looking for partners, collaborators, um, to bring the story to life. But, um, yeah, people who read it, uh, I've gotten really good response. Like people seem to really like it. Oh, well, fingers crossed. I really hope it works out for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but I'm also working on other people's projects. In fact, I'm uh, currently helping a director with her social impact campaign for a documentary that she uh, is actually uh, shot a little bit of footage during COVID, which is amazing. I do think that documentaries, I love documentaries. Do you like documentaries? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I love documentaries. And um, I've always wanted to be in that space um, telling stories that to make a uh, positive social change. Um, so I, well, I don't want to disclose what this is, what her, her project is about. Cause I don't think she's ready to kind of put it out in the world, but um, it's amazing what she's doing. I love her project. And I was just like, what can I do to help you get this off the ground kind of thing? So she gave me a, she gave me a task, which I'm working on and hopefully I'll be even more involved um, down the line. So, so it's all yeah. top secret until then. Until it's revealed. I'm sorry? All top secret until it's revealed. Yeah, I, can't, I don't want to feel comfortable. It's not. Oh, yeah, yeah no, I mean, no pressure. Just, yeah. Yeah. I completely understand. It's my project. So I, I'll, I'll shamelessly promote my own projects. Oh, <laughs> go for it. If there's no anything, problem doing that. Yeah, if there's anything you would like to promote now, I mean, now's your chance. <laughs> I would just say um, Burning Annie, the feature film that I executive produced, or uh, an executive producer, just multiple, um, is now available on um, TV, TVOD platforms through Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. It's a cute film. Don't hate on it, even though, because it's about a college kid who's obsessed with the movie Annie Hall and thinks his obsession with the movie Annie Hall is getting in the way of having um, a meaningful relationship until he meets... Uh, who, who he thinks is Annie Hall, like, in, in college. Um, but the, I guess the ironic part is that she's not Annie Hall at all. She's just, like, <laughs> you know, he thinks that she is, but he, she, or resembles Annie Hall, but she's she's just not, not really. I'll have to keep that for It's a cute film. It's a very, very cute film. Oh. Very witty dialogue. I look forward yeah. to it. I, I, that sounds like something I would watch, so I'll give it a watch. Really? But yeah, yeah, oh, of course, cool. of course, yeah. It's uh, a it's a labor of love that film done on a super indie budget, um, and then went through a lot of. It premiered at the Hamptons International Film Festival here in Long Island, actually, and then uh, played festivals for like three or four years, and then um, eventually got acquired by a Warner Brothers. Uh, subsidiary company called Lightyear Entertainment and this is in 2007 it was placed in big box stores like uh, Target Best Buy this is I don't know if they have Target and Best Buy in England but um, long story short they uh, they they had the rights for 10 years 
Um, and it didn't sit on the internet because, you know, before, in 2007, Netflix was just a DVD company, so, you know, mailing DVDs. Mm. And so we had no presence on the internet. And then we got the right to revert it back to us in 2017. And so we had to come up with a plan to get this uh, movie available on, you know, Amazon, all these new, co- all these companies now, right? Like iTunes, how do you do that? So... We ended up going through, because the movie, because the producer, the lead producer on it, Randy, he actually went through Sundance's producing lab with the film way back when, and they had created an uh, opportunity for alumni to release their films through the, through them, essentially, through their brand. So we were like, okay, let's do that. And that's, that's how we ended up getting it done. Gosh. <laughs> it just all yeah. sounds like this, like sort of long process but when it's done quick it's i just find it really baffling like once it's on like i don't know i can't think of the expression but there's an expression once you're off you're off that sort of thing so yeah it's every every movie has its own like life and how you go about you know seeing it through and it's every project i I learned so much i'm still learning um you know Working on Burning Annie was a great lesson in distribution because then we hired a publicist to come on board and promote this new release of an old, old, old movie. <laughs> Just like, and then the whole Woody Allen fiasco happened, or is still happening. Uh, and so we're like, oh crap! Like, are people going to want to watch this movie because it kind of, you know, is a ode to Annie Hall and yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it's, it, but it's not. Interestingly, I'll say this. I didn't watch Annie Hall before I saw Burning Annie, and I liked the film regardless of whether or not I watched Annie. I watched Annie Hall, like, like years later. So I think it stands on its own. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I'll definitely look out for it. But uh, that's that concluded all my questions. So thank you so much oh. for your time and for interviewing and being part of this podcast today. 